Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast... It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review. Hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, now? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 272, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We've got a lot to discuss with you today. Things happening out in Cowboys camp, as they always are. Some questions to pose. Some really interesting things throwing including a documentary I watched, gosh, I guess it was last night that blew my mind on Netflix. We'll get into all of this, but we are back. Couldn't figure out a way to get an episode laid out for you guys on Monday. I thought about pulling in just a bunch of different Cowboys things and piecing it together, but then I thought, well, I mean, you can go back and listen to any podcast you ever wanted to pretty easily, so just didn't have time to do that because I was traveling, you were traveling, but from what I can look at now, we should be good to go for the rest of the season. I may, we'll see what happens. There may be a time in October, but we'll figure it out because there's just a lot of moving parts. Life is busy, man. Life, is, But it's good when life is busy. Bro, when, when life is busy, that's typically a positive, especially for uh, me since I'm, I've got my own business now. Busy is always better than not busy because not busy means, hey, Matt. Can I stay on your couch? Because I can't pay the rent here. <laughs> That's fine with me. I might I might charge you really cheap rent. I mean, but you, hey, bring it, man. Come uh, chill. But yeah, but it's just not. been a it's a busy time, and, and you and I were really busy that last week. So we're back. You got a podcast dropping here with you guys today. We'll have another one on Friday and into the foreseen future at least. But you never know. Things pop up, and, and that's kind of what Greening Law is there for when those things pop up that you never know about, man. It, we were talking about this before we started recording. I'm having another procedure, another injection into my back tomorrow, hoping that that will help relieve. And all those things that happened from my car wreck, I mean, we're talking, that was 13 months ago. I'm still working with Greening Law. They still handle all the stuff behind the scenes. They still deal with all that crap with the insurance companies. And they're still the ones that will call me. They check in and they're like, hey, you know, how to go? How was the procedure? You know, what are you thinking? What do you feel like you want to do next? It's, it's always that type of thing. It's greening law, the green team, man. If you've been hurt in a car accident or injured on a business, they're the ones to give a call to because they really do go to bat for you against the insurance companies. No, I think that's the, uh, that's the thing to keep in mind. It's that this can be a long, tedious, complicated procedure. I mean, process and 
who better to help you guide guide you through it than two guys, uh, especially Robert Greening, who's done it thousands of times and can hold your hand through the process. And, uh, you know, that's why we tell you, if, if you've been in something like this, don't hesitate. Pick up the phone. Give them a call. 972-934-8900. The call costs you nothing, literally nothing to pick up the phone, dial 972-934-8900. Say, hey, Greening Law, here's my situation. What do you think? And if they take you out for a client, man, I'm telling you, Matt will tell you. Um, it's been a good day for you because they're going to grind for you. They're going to work hard for you. And you don't have to take my word for it. Check their website. Check their record. Uh, the success speaks for itself. Yeah, man. I'm all about it. It's the Green Team. It's Robert Greening. Give him a call today. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. The Cowboys, this is wild to me because the Cowboys' final padded practice in Oxnard was Tuesday, August 9th. They will fly to Denver and have some practices in Denver starting on Thursday. And the first preseason game of the Dallas Cowboys 2022 season is coming up Saturday night. I know we're all stoked about that to watch and see. I mean, it's it's weird because reality of it is they released that weird-ass unofficial depth chart. And I sat there and I was looking at it and I was like, man... I wonder how many people who are currently listed as a starter on the unofficial depth chart will actually even play on Saturday night in Denver. That's a great question. I mean, because obviously uh, you have 22 starters, 11 offense, 11 defense. Uh, CD, I don't, I mean, why would CD Lamb play? Tyron Smith's not going to play. Why would Zach Martin play? Why would Dalton Schultz play? Why would Dak Zeke's not going to play? So that's what? That's at least seven guys offensively that are starters you wouldn't think would play? Well, see, that's a good point. I'd say Tyler Smith needs to play. Biotish needs to play. Terrence Steele needs to play. So that's three. Mm-hmm. Whoever your wide receivers, two, three, four, five, need to play because they've never done anything. Uh, and you're right. I think outside of that, nobody else needs to play. I wouldn't play Tony Pollard. I'd have Rico Dottle and whoever else is in camp. Yeah, and you, you've you got some dude, Malik Davis, Aaron Champling. Those guys. Give them the carries. Yeah, they seem to like Malik Davis, so yeah, I'd give him some time. And then on, on defense, Tank's not going to play. I don't know why you need Neville Gallimore. Honestly, I don't know why you need a Diggy Zua or Dorrance. You don't need Micah out there. You don't need Leighton. Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis, Trayvon Diggs, Jerron Curse. He's not going to play. Donovan no. Wilson, Malik Cooker. I, I don't know if any of those guys on defense play. I mean, maybe uh, you get Gallimore and Odigi Zua in just to rotate. Uh, maybe they play a few snaps. Right. Tristan Hill, he's never done anything. I'd, I'd put him out there. Uh, now, somebody does have to play just because you got to play a game. I'd have Boss Man Fat out there until his tongue was hanging to see what he could do. Um, you know, but, yeah, not very few of my starters would play. And that's just the way the NFL, man. I remember when the starters used to play all the time, back when I was a kid. And then it got to the point when I covered them, they played, uh, you know, a couple series in the first game, a couple series in the, maybe a quarter in the second game, uh, the half in the third game. That was always a dress rehearsal. Maybe one series in the third quarter just so you can see, hey, here's how halftime's going to go. Here's how we're going to do things. And then they don't play in the fourth game. Dude. These guys make so much money now, the starters, your key players. Yeah. That there's just, you just, the worst feeling in the world is, oh, so we lost this guy for the season in a preseason game. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like, for real, football is football. Yep. It hurts, but you can lose, you can live with losing somebody in practice. I mean, we have to practice. All right. We have to. So you can live with losing somebody in practice. 
you can't live, bro, with losing somebody in one of the first two preseason games or the last preseason game. It's just like, for who, for what? Yeah, and I mean, there's 90 guys. There's there's 90 guys on the roster right now. So if you don't play like 20 of your starters, you got 70 other dudes you can rotate through <laughs> that can still get some action. And and I actually, I mean, the preseason, you know, I'm always curious, and I don't know what you can take away from it because reality of it is, I mean, Jake Ferguson, for instance, the rookie tight end, he could go out and look amazing and we'll never see him in the regular season and he does nothing. I have no idea, but, you know, right. it's always interesting to see those guys that when the lights come on and it is in an NFL stadium, you know, what are they going to look like? I'm actually really curious to see Kevontae Turpin, if they're going to let him return some things, you know, does he have that speed that he had in the USFL? It, does it translate when you're going up against a lot of other speedy dudes that are NFL tal- caliber talent? You know, things like that, I think, are, are kind of interesting. Sam Williams, you know, really it's the rookies for me. It's the rookies for me no, more I than th- anybody else that I'm just curious to see. I think Sam Williams is a really intriguing player. Uh, he's, according to what you read, he's done really well in camp. Uh, it would be nice if he could be a surprise, if he could be a real player, a real contributor, and be, you know, the kind of player that they would project, that they would hope he would be. Um, uh, you know, when they, when they drafted him. Yeah, so other than that, I mean, we all know how it is at this point. It's preseason. You really don't put a lot of stock in it, and you really don't want to see any of the starters, and that's how it, the NFL operates. But one thing that everybody's going to be following along, and that will be the kicking battle. And you chuckle at this, but it's reality of it, man, because they got rid of the Texas Tech kid today, Jonathan Garibay, who had been really, really good as a senior at Texas Tech, he made 59, or excuse me, 49 out of 50 field goal attempts last year for Tech. And from all reports of the guys that are out there, he has really struggled in training camp with the Cowboys. They cut him and they brought in, yep, Brett Maher is back. Brett Maher, who will now compete with Liram Hajrulula, Hajrulahu, Liram Hajrulahu, who. That is so impressive, Matt. Matt McLaren. Thank so you. So impressive. Hey, man, I, I thought I had his name down the first time, and then I was like, wait, no, it's, it's Haj Rulahu, who is actually, and dude, I don't remember this dude being on the team last year, and he made five extra points in a win over the Falcons in 2021. Oh, he did? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and I was like, is that real? Is that for, and I mean, I, re, I do not remember him being a cowboy at all last year. He's wow. a Canadian-born dude. Or no, he's from Kosovo. He was born in Kosovo and played in Canada and now is obviously he's he's kicked in the NFL. I mean, he kicked for the Cowboys last year. It's so strange. Dude, go figure. Didn't see it coming. Yeah, he 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 was the replacement for Greg Zerline when Zerline had to miss a game last year after testing positive for COVID and he was only on the team for 13 days. Oh, okay. So I don't feel so bad. Now. But he made he was five of five on his extra points against the Falcons last year, and I totally forgot about this dude. But it's him and now Brett Maher who are competing, and I get the frustration with bringing back Maher for Cowboys fans. He made eighty one percent of his field goals in in twenty eighteen, and then of course in twenty nineteen, he went twenty of thirty on his field goals. And despite having some of the longest kicks in the history of, of, of the Dallas Cowboys, he was done. He went to the Saints last year, 
and made 89% of his field goals last year for the New Orleans Saints. So I don't know. You don't want 2020, Maher. I have zero interest in that, dude. But 89%, I can take that if you're going to kick like how you did last year for the Saints. Now, check this out. He may be a guy who um, sometimes that, that first job doesn't work out for you. You got nerves. You can't handle it. You don't know how to deal with the pressure and all this other stuff. You're inexperienced. And it's the second job where you figure it out, and maybe that was for him at the Saints, and maybe he'll be fine. Because remember, he's got a powerful leg. He hit one from, like, more than 60. It was like, how can you hit from 60 and miss from 37, bro? That's, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. the thing with every kicker is just like a backup quarterback. All you have to do, my friend, is make the effing kicks you're supposed to make. Now, if you want to hit one from 55, hey, more power to you. If you want to hit one from 67, we love you. But just make all the kicks. Well, you're human. Make 97% of the kicks under 40 and make probably about 90% of the kicks between 40 and 49. Yeah, and, and you know, reality of it is, as you said, he's got a leg. Maher has four of the five longest field goals in Cowboys history. How about that? 60, Is that wild or what? Yeah, dude, 63. Twice he hit from 62 and 59. And then Greg Zerline has the other one as he made a 59-yarder last year. So you look at that. I mean, he was 16 of 18 last season in eight games with the New Orleans Saints. And let's see here. From 40 to 49, he was four for four. 8 of 9, 30 to 39, and he was 0 for 1 from over 50 last year. So 16 out of 17 from under 50 yards last year. That's what I'm talking about. What is that, Matt? Make the kicks you're supposed to make. If you do that, we get along fine. Like, I don't even get a – I mean, if you miss from 52, I'm not screaming and shouting. I'm like, that's a long-ass kick. You didn't make it. Um, but if you just make the kicks you're supposed to make, and in today's NFL, make – you know, 97% of your extra points, you're human, so you'll hook one during the season, maybe two. But, you know, just make the kicks you're supposed to make, bro. Yeah, and, and you know, the Cowboys, for whatever reason, it feels like they kind of do this philosophy with their backup quarterback where they just kind of see what's out there and see if they can just, like, land on some random dude that can come in and kind of be a good kicker for them throughout the course of time. And right. sometimes it's worked. Obviously, many times it feels like in recent years – it hasn't but you know like Dan Bailey they didn't draft Dan Bailey he was undrafted they signed him and Dan Bailey was really good for a few years and you know there's I'm gonna tell you something man I'm gonna tell you something bro and those out there in podcast land can agree or disagree what did the Cowboys do including I believe when Dan Bailey was here for a long time that they no longer do so to speak they had kicking coaches like most NFL teams didn't, like special teams got handled the kickers. They had specific kicking coaches, yeah. and they're like, we're not going to spend money on a kicker because we got Steve Hoffman uh, that we pay whatever they paid Steve Hoffman specifically to make sure the kickers are straight. And then they had another guy after him whose name escapes me. But they had kicking coaches, and so, hey, we don't have to spend money because we got these guys who will go find us kickers for cheap and tell us, oh, yeah, bring this guy on. He'll work no problem. But when they got away from that, they became just like every other NFL team, man, on hope and a prayer. Yeah, and it's just it's kind of weird because you look at some like Justin Tucker. I mean, everybody can name Justin Tucker, regardless of whether you know kickers or not. And he's getting paid six million dollars a year. He's the highest paid kicker in the NFL. That dude was undrafted. You know, and then you look at some of the kickers that do get drafted who end up doing absolutely nothing in the NFL. And kickers are so weird. 
I mean, they're, they're so all over the map where you can kind of just fall into one that you get lucky on undrafted. I was thinking about this earlier, though, man. I was like, man, the life of a kicker. Because Maher, they announced the signing today, and then, you know, Mishota had the video of him running out at camp. It's like, oh, Brett Maher is here. And I thought, this is so interesting because if they decide that they don't want to have him, then he'll be running into some other team's camp the last week of August, hoping to make that, and they're all over the place all the time. Dude, it's a hard job, man. And you got to have a certain aptitude and certain attitude uh, to make it happen. I mean, that's why Garrett Bay, I mean, clearly he has the talent to kick in the league, but the pressure got to him. There's no way he's as bad as he looked, but the pressure got to him. He started pressing. And if you talk to, uh, and I've talked to a lot of them over the years, kickers, they'll tell you it's probably, they're, they're closer to golfers, meaning they got so many, like, you know, there's so many mechanics going on with your kick, with your plant leg, how far you stand, what degree you're doing, all this other stuff. That when you get something out of whack, bro, it can be, it can be hard to fix. And when that thing gets in your head, get over it. And we saw it. I think it was with Maher, man. He would miss one a foot to the left, and then he come back and do what? Miss it a foot to the right. Why? Yeah. He overcompensated. I mean, it happened all. I mean, and that's when it became clear that it was in his head, and you know, he just had to go. He's a good dude. Uh, he was always accountable. He had a great leg, which is why he could hit for so far. But it's like, brother, it don't matter, bro. You just got to hit the kicks that matter. <laughs> well, it, it'll be, at least right now, I, I, one of those two guys. And everybody was stoked on Garibay, man. I mean, everybody was like, this kid's 49 and 50 last year at Tech. He's got a leg. And then he just, for whatever reason, couldn't cut it in camp. And if you can't cut I mean, you can't even make it to the first preseason game. Well, check this out. Did you see the other day where your boy, um, Mike McCarthy, he's trying to be the good citizen here. His mojo moment is make an extra point. <laughs> like, I'm serving it up on a tee for you. I'm trying to get you started. I'm trying to give you some confidence, blah, blah. And he couldn't hit that. And it was like, bro, you got to go. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. The other thing that I don't know why and maybe I shouldn't be, but I am surprised because it was a week ago that we were talking about, my God, James Washington is injured. They're screwed. A week of camp has gone by. And they have signed no one at the wide receiver position. They are rolling with the rookies. And we went through this before in the lack of experience in the NFL of any of these guys. And now you look at like the Mashotas and the Archers of the world. You okay over there? Yes. Did you drop your mic? No. All right. Just making sure. Nothing, nothing, nothing to see here. Keep it moving. But nothing I was just saying, you, you listen to these guys, you see their roster projections. In all of them, it's because Michael Gallup and James Washington are going to start the season on PUP or IR or whatever it's going to be for Washington. And that means that if Michael Gallup starts the season on PUP, he has to miss the first four games of the year. You have to before you can bring him back. Right now, all the roster projections have CeeDee Lamb and then Jalen Tolbert, the third-round rookie, would be your number two receiver. Dennis Houston and Kevante Turpin and then Simi Fajoko, who apparently has been having a solid camp, would be like the next guys up behind CeeDee Lamb at wide receiver. Okay, check this out. Here's my theory on this, bro. Let's, uh, and this is, you know, rough guesstimate. You know, I think the Cowboys got 10 guys in camp, maybe 11, but let's say they've got 10. Let's say every other team has 10. That's 320 receivers, brother. Um, 
so to me, if you got 320 receivers at NFL camps, because most people haven't had their first cut yet, then um, the only guys available are old dudes, hurt dudes, and sorry dudes. So guy like o- Odell Beckham Jr., hurt dude, he's available. Guy like, uh, what's the guy's name? Will Hill, Kenny Hill. Ken, he used to play for a fast guy out of West Virginia, was with the Texans. Will Fuller? For, yeah, Will Fuller, that guy. Hurt dude. He's always hurt. Um, so there's old dudes, hurt dudes, and sorry dudes. When can you get those guys, bro? Whenever you freaking feel like it. So if you're the Cowboys, you got these young guys, Dennis Houston, uh, Simi Fahoku, all these guys. Let's let them play. They got, you know, CD ain't playing very much of it all. Let's let them play. Let's see what they can do. Let's see if anybody uh, surprises us and give them a couple games, maybe even three games, to see what they can do, see what they show us, see if they can take it from the practice field to the game. And then if not, we can always go grab one of those old dudes, hurt dudes, sorry dudes to replace them with. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to say this one more time this week. I might say it again next week. I don't feel sorry for your Dallas Cowboys. They chose this road. Yeah, they did. They chose this road. So however they work it out is however they work it out. They gets no sympathy from me, none at all, because um, they made some. They they got rid of Amari Cooper when they didn't have to. They got mad because he didn't get vaccinated, missed a couple games, and that's why they cut him essentially. Yeah, and and the reality of it is, like to your point, when you look at it, if all NFL teams and and some guys will have fewer wide receivers than others, but if we say that that's each team has ten in camp. The Cowboys had 11 before Washington got hurt on their active roster. But if you have 10 in camp, that's 320 wide receivers are already in camp somewhere. Yeah. And so then you look at this. There, You have to cut five guys one week from Tuesday. So next Tuesday, August 16th, you have to reduce it down to 85 players. A week after that, August 23rd, you drop it down to 80 players. And then obviously August 30th is when you cut it down to 53 And that'll be interesting to see if the Cowboys make a move, depending on who's cut in the next couple of weeks, make a move for a veteran receiver. Maybe there's somebody who's fallen out of favor somewhere, somebody who ends up getting cut. You know, the Des Bryants of the world that end up being out there where it's like, hey, you're not what we thought you were going to be. You're not worth the money. We don't want to pay you anymore. Are you maybe going to be a camp casualty somewhere along the way? Who knows? Especially when they make that cut down to 53 I have a really hard time believing they go into the season with this level of inexperience at wide receiver in actual NFL games. To me, it's one thing to say, hey, right now in camp, let's let all these dudes get all the experience they can in preseason and they're getting all the reps. That's great. But it's another thing when you go, especially if Gallup is going to miss the first four games of the year, that you would roll into an NFL season with really one wide receiver of note that has ever played much at all in an NFL game. Dude, I mean, you can go get one. I mean, I mean, I just don't, I don't know where the cats are. I well, mean, that, that's I what mean, I'm saying. Is like maybe at some somebody point. gets cut. Maybe. Right, yeah. Somebody that's cut, and we may not know until August 30th. When, when teams have to go down to their active rosters of 53, there may be a veteran wide receiver that's out there where you can at least go for four games and say, well, at least this dude's played in the NFL before. 
And we'd rather have him than Dennis Houston or Cavante Turpin or Jalen Tolbert and have nothing but untested and unproven rookies outside of a Noah Brown who really you have on the roster for special teams. Bro, I just can't believe they did this to the quarterback. I can't believe it either. You know, and, and then, which we're going to get into Dak and, and, and what they've done to him and, and some of the things about Dak Prescott here on this podcast. But man, it, it's, it's really, really interesting. Really interesting to me that they've decided to go like this. And, and we'll see. I just have a hard time believing that the, this is the wide receiver group that they go into the season with when they get to the season opener on that Sunday night against Tampa Bay. I, I can't believe that, these, that it's this group of guys or that the five or six come from this group of 10 that they have. Yeah, maybe they're going to use um, Tony Pollard more. I mean, they have, they've always talked about it, but maybe they really are going to do it this time. And, and uh, that will create, you know, a little more. That, that'll ease the burden on, on some other guys. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. So we'll see how it plays out. But it's funny because Justin Bobo on Twitter just tweeted at us and goes, yeah, it's about to be some sad singing and some slow walking when the Eagles played in boys. And that's because of that, that little video that's going around of Jordan Davis absolutely manhandling one of their linemen in camp that I'm sure – Everybody has seen this video. I mean, he basically picks him up and it looks like a little child's rag doll and he pushes him back 10, year, 10 yards when they're doing some drill they're doing. One of the Eagles offensive linemen. I mean, Jordan Davis absolutely makes this guy look like he weighs about 100 pounds. It's incredible. <laughs> I tried to tell people, man, I was like, that Jordan Davis pick for the Eagles, that was an absolute ridiculous steal that he, they, they it, I'm, it's what it is. We're, we're going to have fun on this podcast. We're not going to rip the season to shreds yet. Let's get through the first preseason game. Oh, my. I just saw the video. You haven't seen that yet? That's Jordan Davis, man. Let me tell you what this looks like. That looks like uh, when they have this, the, the JV go up against the varsity for the first time, and you don't realize that the varsity got that grown man strength. Yeah. Um, that's what this looks like. I mean, he literally, this dude is taking bunny hops backwards. <laughs> yes, and for those wondering, that is Cameron Jurgens, who yes. is six foot three, three hundred and three pounds. Oh my! Okay, I'm gonna tell you a real funny story. It only take a second. Okay, my my dude, this I'm saying that because this happened to my dude. My dude was playing defensive end. No, he's playing linebacker. Uh, he just got promoted from the JV to the varsity. They're helping the varsity get ready for the uh, for the playoffs uh, after his sophomore year. And so I, I'm at home, and I see him. I was like, dude, what happened to your elbow? Because he's got this long strawberry there. Yeah. He said, oh, we were pass rushing, and the tackle picked me up and threw me. God. <laughs> I said, I said he picked you up and threw me? He said, yeah. He said he picked me up, and then he threw me. <laughs> I said, welcome to the varsity, bro. <laughs> Dude, I, I mean, yeah, and that's kind of like this video here. And, and, and look, Cam Jurgens was their second-round draft pick. He, he's the guy who they're So this gonna, ain't no bomb. This ain't no, no scrub. This is a second. Cam Jurgens was a, he's a center, played at Nebraska, 6'3", 300-plus pounds, a second-round draft pick. And Jordan Davis, it literally looks like a man going against a child in this video. Yeah. And to me, all I, all I saw when I saw that was like, my God, it's Tyler Biotish, isn't it? <laughs> and that Jordan Davis is just going to pick up Tyler Biotish and throw him into Dak, and Dak's going to fumble and the Eagles recover. Bro, the problem with that is, you know, it's 
it's it's a 60 play game man <laughs> and okay if i ain't gonna have one of those but you know there could be five or ten of those in a game that's the problem man <laughs> that's the problem so we'll see Whoa. but i'm just pointing that out just pointing that out as we have this conversation also want to point out to you that our friends at Bruce biltong they're back man they are back with us here on the jam session podcast And for those of you who are new listeners that have jumped in on the podcast in the last month or the last few weeks, you might be going, well, what the hell is biltong? Biltong is like beef jerky, but it's not. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. Jacques and I both like it way more than biltong. I've always got a snack bag of biltong in the house ever since we started working the brews. Zero sugar, no artificial ingredients. It is a lean, delicious snack. You can get the two-ounce snack bags, 240 calories, and 30 grams of protein in those bags. Perfect, perfect little snack, man. So good. And that's a great snack, man. If you, if you, whether you're trying to watch your weight or not, there's nothing like that, that protein fix, especially if you are, because in the middle of the day, it works for me because um, it, get, it ties you over to dinner time, man. You don't have to feel bad about eating, and you can eat a lot of it, bro, which is what I appreciate as a former fat guy. It's very good. I like it quite a bit. I think you're going to like it too. It's more savory. It's more tender. The flavor is fantastic. It's bruisebiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. And don't forget, when you go to the checkout, use the promo code JAM15, J-A-M with the number 15, and you'll get 15% off with that code, JAM15. 15% off your first order, 15% off your 10th order. It doesn't matter. It's the promo code JAM15 at bruisebiltong.com. Also, of course, Freeway Tire Shop, JR and his guys. I mean, Jacques can tell you flat out because he's worked on all of your cars at some point. Whether it's an oil change or a tire rotation or whether it's legit serious mechanical work, when you're looking for the mechanic you can trust in the DFW area, we have found him. It's JR. It's his guys. It's Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, you know, I swear by him and because for me, I don't I don't work on cars, man. I mean, just straight up, I don't. So I need a mechanic I can trust, uh, much like I look for a doctor I can trust. Uh, and, and the reason I ride with JR is you can trust him. For me, that's the biggest deal, man. You can trust him to what? Diagnose what's wrong with your car. That's first and foremost and fundamental. Then you can trust him to, to use quality parts on your car, which is, to me, an underrated thing. You can trust him to charge you a fair price. That's a big thing, too. And then you trust him to stand behind his work. For me, it doesn't really get any better than those four. Figure out what's wrong with it. Use quality parts to fix it. Charge me a fair price and then stand behind it if something goes wrong. I mean, what else do you want, bro? I don't know what it would be, my friend, because that's what I look for in a mechanic. It is Freeway Tire Shop, and it's very easy to get to just north of downtown Dallas. Schedule your appointment. You can also request a quote if you'd like online at freewaytireshop.com. So we take this trip around the block, and man, you sent me this article, and I don't know why, I just found this wild. Apparently, North Texas has run out of Topo Chico. <laughs> Topo Chico, which is the sparkling mineral water from Mexico, which I'm, I love Topo Chico. Boy, it will burn your throat, brother. I love Topo Chico, and I would probably drink it a lot more. It's a little bit more expensive, obviously, so I'll just get it from time to time. But I thought this was wild because restaurants, some restaurants can't even offer it anymore because, like anything else, it's a supply chain issue. 
And a lot of these like Mexican restaurants and whatnot that use it in a drink called ranch water, which is basically tequila, lemon and Topo Chico. They're having trouble making those types of drinks because they can't get Topo Chico at all, like anywhere. Which is wild, man. I used to buy it. Uh, I used to buy it by the case at uh, Costco uh, all the time. And then the only reason I stopped was when I got hooked on Waterloo. They just had more flavors. And so I just rolled with the more flavors. But uh, Topo Chico is great, man. I'm a big fan of them. So according to something called Market Realist, the plunge in Topo Chico's availability this summer, they believe is the result of a water shortage in Nuevo Leon, where Arca Continental, which is Coke's, Coke owns Topo Chico. It's Coke's second largest bottling plant in Latin America. So this is located here. So this, this thing called Arca Continental bottles drinks, including Topo Chico, that are distributed in all of Texas. And two weeks ago, they relinquished part of their water concessions to help supply Monterey with water because of the water shortage in the Monterey area of Mexico. So if you can't find your Topo Chico, it truly is a first world problem as they are trying to help out the water shortage that they are having in that region of Mexico. For sure, man. They're, they're being good citizens and, say, and figuring out that it's not all about them. They're trying to help somebody else out. Now, I will say this. The grapefruit Topo Chico is legit. I was going to ask you if you had uh, dabbled into the other ones. The uh, The lime one is solid, but the grapefruit, uh, yeah, I ride with that one, bro. Yeah, I, I like a Topo Chico. I will say, because usually, like, wherever you buy it, like, not at a store. Like, if you go to some place, they'll have it for, like, three bucks for a Topo Chico. I'm like, eh, like a convenience store or whatever. Yeah. Usually, that's on the pricey side to me. But as every, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I, I'm a sparkling water. That's all I drink, basically. And, you know, I have Waterloo at home, as we've discussed many, many times. But a lot of convenience stores don't offer Waterloo. Like, if you're on a road trip or whatever. You know, I don't think I've ever seen it in a convenience store. I don't know that I have. I'm sure somebody probably has. But, like, when we travel, like, for instance, this weekend, we're going to Oxford to celebrate my lady friend, well, my lady fiance. That's right. I forgot she changed her name. She didn't change it. I changed it <laughs> because I am getting engaged. I am engaged. Anyway, yeah. so the lady fiance's yeah. dad lives in Oxford and we're going to celebrate his birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. We're going to do it this weekend. So we'll probably stop somewhere along the way in like at Love's, which is generally the, stu- the one that I'll stop at. They don't have Waterloo, but they'll usually have Topo Chico, and they have another one, Bubbly. They usually have Bubbly, and I don't mind Bubbly. Bubbly's solid. I like Bubbly, and they'll do the 16-ounce cans of it, and I can get one of those at Love's for a good price, and I'm like, all right, I'll just drink that while I'm driving. Yeah, but Bubbly is uh, bubbly is solid. Uh, I like uh, Target's brand, G&G, I think, is, uh, is really good, too. Yeah, it's good and gather is what G and G stands yeah. for. It's yeah, good it's, it's and gather quality. Good gather. Every time I hear that, it makes me think I'm like in some Puritan community in the 1800s. But they're like, "Did you good and gather today?" Oh, did you? Did you? Yes, good Papa. Gather? Yeah, Papa. We good and we gathered. Would you like to see the harvest, <laughs> Papa? Yes, I would. Of course, good and gather. You have done it. No buckling and spankings for you. Wow. I don't know why. Every time I see that, it's just, it, I have that, <laughs> that meant because Puritans are like pure and good and they gathered stuff, I guess. I don't know. Like the dude, you know, the Quaker on Quaker Oats, he probably good and gathered those oats. 
<laughs> like if he could come alive off the oat milk container, he'd probably be like, yes, I couldn't gather it. Eat these oats. True that. True That's that. what I picture in my head. So the other thing that I had for you is before I get to this documentary, and you're going to have to watch this, but Better Call Saul has one final episode remaining. The penultimate episode was, uh, we're recording this Tuesday, so it was last night for us on Monday. And man, I got to tell you, that is one of the most well-done episodes of television that I have ever seen. Really? I've seen a lot now. Just absolutely brilliantly directed, brilliantly acted. The lady who plays Kim Wexler, Ree Seahorn, has a scene in this that she breaks down and starts crying and it it's I, I, usually they don't allow especially in television for the process to develop where she was able to truly take herself to a place of pain like and, and i almost started crying watching it on the couch like mike i don't know what she's thinking of but that actress is thinking of something that is really hurting her because she, she, it was incredible. It was just absolutely incredible. And they filmed the scene on an actual tram at the actual Albuquerque airport. And they, like, I, I was so intrigued by the episode that I ended up watching Talking Saul afterwards because they had Vince Gilligan and they had Bob Odenkirk and Reese Seahorn on. And to hear right. them talking about how they shot some of the scenes and the decisions they're making in these final episodes, man, it was awesome. Just really Dude. cool. Oh, see, I'm looking forward to it. That sounds fake magnificent. I mean, some of the I mean, there was a couple of times with the camera choices they made where I was like, see? My God, this is just flat out brilliant. Like this is a brilliant camera shot. Well, that's you know, dude, that's why I started liking uh, Breaking Bad. That's what really yeah. got me into it. It's the camera angles and the shots, and you're like, it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, man, and, and it's funny because Reese Seahorn was nominated for the first time ever for a Primetime Emmy Award for her work on Better Call Saul. And I was like, I bet they submitted that scene because if, if I was a voter and saw that scene, I'd be like, oh, my God. Yep, Emmy nomination right here. I mean, I, my wow. God, it was powerful. And she didn't even say anything. She didn't even say a word. Nobody in the scene says a word. Oh, see, that's, that's the tension. It's, it's everything. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was wonderful. So you're going to be excited about that. And I can't wait. It's funny because they asked Bob Odenkirk, don't spoil anything. But if you can describe the series finale in just three words, what would you what words would you use? And his three words were one hard truth. Wow. And I was like, OK, what does that mean? So I'm very much looking forward to next Monday night when Better Call Saul wraps up the whole damn thing. And man, I was thinking about that. I mean, you look at Vince Gilligan and you look at the genius in these characters that they created in this universe that they've created from Breaking Bad that lasted for what? What was Breaking Bad? Five seasons, I want to say? Yeah. And now Better Call Saul. And you sit here and you think, okay, Better Call Saul is six seasons. And Breaking Bad lasted five seasons. That's 11 years of television that this cast and a lot of this crew have been through together with this. And combined, I mean, just what what absolute brilliance. And they always figured, they, they ended Breaking Bad at the exact right time, and I feel like they're ending Better Call Saul at the exact right time. That, to me, is a trick. 
you know, because you want to go forever. Yeah. But the best shows, nobody wants to get stale and ruin a great show, you know, with two or three sorry, you know, ep- you know, seasons at the end of it. And so uh, that to me is the hardest choice to make. Like, dude, I got one more season in me. Let's make it the best we can make it. Yeah, and it, it was interesting too hearing her talk about the season finale. None of them would obviously spoil it or say anything that's coming up, but she was asked about it and she said that that it was real important. And Vince Gilligan kind of said this too. You know, it's so important, and he feels like they did it with Breaking Bad that you want the fans and the people that make these shows possible to feel like they're getting the answers that they want while also kind of doing it, the wrapping things up in a way that you want. And so it was it was interesting to hear it like that. And even Reese Seahorn was like, you know, you think of some of your favorite shows of all time, and we all have ones that had the perfect ending that we, we loved as fans, and then some of those that you were really disappointed in. She said, as somebody who's a fan of this work, and as somebody who's in it, I think that our fans are going to be very pleased with the way that it wraps up. And I was like, okay, good. That's hey, great. Ain't nothing, nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that, bro. I'm, I'm excited to go look at it now. Yeah, you got to watch it, man. It's, it's really, really well, well done. And then finally, this documentary. This documentary that I watched, we watched it last night. I don't know if you remember in the summer of 1999 that they revitalized Woodstock and it was called Woodstock 99, but it wasn't at Woodstock. They had like rented out or purchased an old retired Air Force base and they had it on this base. And it was 30 years after the original and it had like Limp Biscuit and Rage Against the Machine and Corn and Bush, Jewel all these big acts, Fatboy Slim, all these big acts that were huge in the late 90s. The name of this documentary, it's a three-part documentary. Each episode is maybe 50 minutes long. It's called Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. And I remember Woodstock 99 being like this thing. I had a couple of friends that drove up and went to it. Like, oh, it's going to be Woodstock. It's three days of peace, love, and all this, and that whole thing. And it ended up becoming three days of rage violence the ending of it on that sunday was a massive riot where they they burned down like half the grounds there were so many reports of sexual assault and and just different things happening and watching this documentary dude it is mind-boggling how intense and the things that all these people went through because again i mean there were two hundred and fifty thousand people that showed up for this thing wow uh, that's a lot of people, bro. Um, why'd they decide to do this? Just because it was such a weird deal? Oh, the documentary? Yeah, to tell yeah. the story of it. And they went back and they got the original people. I mean, there's interviews with some of the guys that were in the bands. And, and there are interviews of people who were there in the crowd. There's interviews with the people that started it, like this John Bird guy or whatever his name is. That's John Lang, I think it is who was the original creator of original Woodstock back in 1969. And they wanted to do it again. They had, they had tried in 1994 on the 25th anniversary. And that was one they did at the actual grounds of Woodstock. And it rained and rained and rained. And it was a horrible thing. They didn't make any money on it. So this time they did it where they could make money and they put up walls. So if you didn't have a ticket, you couldn't get in and that whole type of thing. And it's, it's really interesting to watch because you start to realize why 
I think some of the problems that we deal with in society today, you know, this was really the people forget like Columbine happened in 98 and like this new type of fear and this new type of lack of respect for others that starts to rear its head a lot where people are just angry for some reason. Yeah. And out of control. Yeah. And the mob mentality takes over and people are doing things just because other people are doing things. And like, and it's interesting because the lady fiance, and, and I never thought about this before. She goes, you know, she goes, I feel like the douche started in the nineties and watching this documentary and she goes, and, and this is like the example of that late nineties douche at full throttle, like basically just being douches. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's really interesting because I'm not sure that I disagree. Like there's probably always been assholes. You know, I'm sure through, through any era, there's always right. been certain people that did things a certain way, but, it, but being a douchebag is different to me than being an asshole. What's the difference? I feel like being an asshole, like sometimes people will just get irritated and they do something dumb. I feel like doing a, I feel like being a douchebag, like you're doing it in a sense because you feel like you're better than somebody. You know, they kind of talked about that on the documentary that there was a section of the crowd that just kind of felt like, you know, that entitled college fratty douche kind of vibe that showed right. up and we're like, we're going to do what we want. And we're going to use the music as an excuse to tear stuff up and light it on fire and assault people. And you can't stop us. All right. That's a little, uh, that's a little scary, a little shady. I mean, it was wild, man. This documentary is very, very worth watching. If you're, how, how'd you find it? Were you just intrigued by Woodstock? Or oh no. It, it's like in the top five. I think it's the number one show on Netflix right now. Oh, so you just like, oh, if it's the number one show, at least let me check it out. Yeah, and we watched the trailers. Like, yep, I'm in for it. Well, and I mean, remember, I was 20 years old in 99. Like, I, I wanted to go to this. Like, I remember it very well. We had gone to Rockfest in 1997, two years before that. And the lineup in this and the bands that were going to be there. And I had some friends in college like, dude, let's drive to New York. It'll be awesome. You know, we can make this massive road trip and we'll party for three weekends. You know, and that's the age. I mean, most of the people that were in attendance were probably late teens, early 20s. And I was right smack dab in the middle of that. Well, ultimately, how come you didn't go? Because it was way too far away and I didn't feel like messing with it. Oh, I mean, I thought it was going to be this fun, massive road trip. Well, I mean, I've never been. That was one thing that I felt like Rockfest got right because it was one day. It started at 8 a.m. and it ended at midnight. You didn't have to camp out there. Nobody was going to wake up the next day hungover and angry and get drunk again all day. And that's, I think, what a mistake was made with this Woodstock Festival. You know, and not all festivals where you have multiple days are like this. But right. a lot of the times, like NASCAR gets this way, man. Now, you go out to Talladega and camp in the middle of NASCAR on the campgrounds, people are going ballistic. It's almost like Lord of the... They just drink all the time. There's no rules for the most part because you don't have enough security to patrol everywhere. And, and it's, it's, it's incredible what people will do when they feel like they can get away with anything. Oh, there's no doubt, bro. No doubt. I mean, there's that sense of lawlessness, you know, in, in any type of riot where, like, you're just watching and you're just going, like, people without power and they're just taking a TV just because they can't. Like, you can't even plug the TV into anything. You know, and you're watching, it's the same thing in this. In Woodstock 99 at the end when the riots are starting, 
And you see these kids just walking into the vendor's tents and taking like a whole thing of t-shirts. For what? You're not going to wear 100 t-shirts. Dude. You're just taking it because you can. Because somebody else, you saw somebody else take it. It's like, oh, I'll go take it. That seems like it'd be fun to participate in. That's crazy to me. I'm, I get it, but it's crazy. It is. It's crazy to me. And I've, I've never been like it had been to a point on this where I feel like if I had been up there for this, that I would have bailed out before it ever got to the third day. Because the second day they were having a lot of problems with people overheating and they were running out of water. And I don't know that I would have been like, sweet, let's stay another day and see if we survive tomorrow. <laughs> but like a lot of people there were like, we wanted to go home on Saturday, but we all ended up staying on Sunday because Red Hot Chili Peppers was the last band to play. And the concert promoters had kind of started rumors that somebody even bigger might show up to close down the concert, like Michael Jackson or Prince or somebody like that. Oh, my. Yeah. And so a lot of these people, when Red Hot Chili Peppers closes the concert, they're all thinking another act's coming out. And then they come on and say, it's time to go home. And people were pissed. Oh, I bet they were. I mean, you can't tease me with MJ or Prince or somebody at that level. And then I'd be like, hey, see you later. I mean, there are people they interview, they get trench mouth from the water they were drinking because the water got contaminated with feces. Okay. I mean, that's how bad this thing ended up being. And there's 250,000 people there. There's no supervision. Mike, dude, one of the security guards tells a story on this thing about how some guy came up to him before the, the start and said, hey, you want to make 500 bucks this weekend? He's like, okay, what? He goes, I just need you to be a security guard. He said, I had no training. They never showed us what to do or anything. We just had to stand there. And he said, people were coming up to him. as like, hey, where do you get with that security shirt? Can I go backstage? And he's like, yeah. And some guy's like, I'll give you 400 bucks for it. So he sold it because he had an extra one. <laughs> wow. So he gave his security shirt to some random dude for $400 and just got another one out of his bag. I got no words for that, bro. I mean, what are we doing? In 1999, man, it's something... <laughs> But I feel yeah, like wild. like you have to be, unless you're a certain type of person, you know, because there's music festivals now like Bonnaroo or Burning Man out in California, you know, where people will camp out and stuff like that. And there's a certain type of person who can, who's really like a hippie person who can live like that. I cannot live like that. I cannot camp like that. I would need, like, I would go to a music festival and go for a day, like hang out hangout fest in Gulf Shores, Alabama goes on for a, a couple of days, but I wouldn't want to camp out. Like I might go down there and go for a day and then have rent an Airbnb and go to that. I'm not camping on the beach with a bunch of drunk, crazy asshole, 20 year olds. <laughs> That's just how I feel about it. I don't like to be around that many people anymore. I couldn't do something. I, I don't know that I could do rock fest if it happened today just because of the horde of people that were at Texas Motor Speedway that day. And that was, like I was telling the lady, that was a one-day concert in 1997. I saw multiple people have drug overdoses, and I saw people having sex in a porta pot on a, in a oh. one-day concert. Imagine a three-day concert of all of that. That may be one of the nastiest things I've ever heard. Yeah, man, I, I still to this day like, can't believe I, it. Before I go to a porta pot, I have to even... I just have to decide, can I wait? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because porta pots are like the worst things ever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm never number two in there. But, I, you know, I'll pee at one. Who cares? 
dude, the stench gets to me. Yeah, it's pretty anyway, bad. Enough, enough of that. Yeah, man, but I'll, I'll never forget that. that. I just, I open up the door to go to the porta pot and there are two people already in there enjoying each other. And I was like, all right. I just can't believe that. Wow. I, I'm telling you, man, it is these festivals like this, you know, people, they do drugs and they get drunk and it's like they have no concept of what reality is. And this, it's, no, it, I'm, I guess so. it's a weird, crazy documentary and there's a lot of, I will tell you this, there is a colossal amount of nudity because, and I mean men and women in this documentary because for whatever reason, a lot of people just walked around butt naked. Flea, <laughs> who is the bass player for Red Hot Chili Peppers, Flea came out on the stage butt naked and was just playing butt naked. And so there's a lot of that and there's a lot of, they show a lot of people drug use. So just be forewarned, but it is a fascinating story of how it all went wrong and what the hell happened at Woodstock 99. Damn. Well, you, you've, you've sold me. I'm now intrigued. It's, <laughs> it's worth watching, I am telling you. Very much worth watching. But that is a trip around the block, so enjoy all that. So as we continue, of course, let's tell you about HFX Foundation Solutions. I know, see, and this is what's going to happen. You guys in North Texas, you finally got some rain. I mean, I'm watching a video on Twitter right now. It's hailing and it's a deluge in downtown Dallas as we're recording this. And you have been cooked and fried and baked for so long that now your foundation is going to get wonky when all the rain comes. So you really need to be paying attention right now. This is a rough time of the year for your foundation in the North Texas area. If you see those cracks, if you've got sticking doors, you need to call HFX Foundation Solutions. I'm telling you. Well, I mean, bro, there's a reason why we say, hey, go get a colonoscopy for your house. Yeah, we like to have a little fun with it, but it's, it's huge. It's crucial. There's nothing worse than foundation problems, man. Stuck doors, cracks along the ceiling, all that stuff. And some stuff that you can't see. And that's why you need to have Aaron and his team come out. Give him a call. 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174. And just have him give your house the colonoscopy, brother. And when they do that, you get peace of mind that comes with that. Because now you ain't got to worry about it. And you can turn it up and have a great time. But pick up the phone and give them a call. Because what they can do, uh, dude, it can be invaluable for you. It can be indeed. It very much can be. It's a free, no obligation inspection. Again, get out in front of anything, man. With foundation, when it's been really, really hot and you guys are about to run into another string 100-degree days, you really need to be paying attention. Be concerned about your foundation, but be glad you've got Aaron and his crew. Local and family-owned HFX Foundation Solutions, 817-770-0174, online at hfxfoundation.com. Also, of course, you work up a hunger you want that delicious barbecue, you know it's Smokey John's. Right there off Mockingbird, just east of 35. You can order their saucer rub online, or you can go into the store. My buddy Mike McGinnis, gotta love Mike, man. He sent me a picture last week. I was in Austin, and he sent me a picture, and he goes, hadn't had the jam session bowl in a while, and there he was, sitting at Smokey John's, chowing down on a jam session bowl, because life does not get better than that. <laughs> What? Hey, bro, it doesn't get any better than that. I got to tell you. Uh, what I tell you last week, I had it, and it was so good it made you toot. Uh, I, my, our buddy Juan, Juan and Brent own it. He sent me a, uh, he sent me a text <laughs> saying he couldn't believe I said that, basically. 
But it was true, bro. It's fantastic. You can never go wrong. It's enough food for two. You can certainly split it and even have some leftovers in a lot of cases. It's uh, the jam session bowl, man, whether you start it with macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes as a base. Your choice of two out of five smoked meats. I always go for the brisket and the sausage, brother. Uh, they drizzle it with the sauce. They put uh, some chives on it, some sour cream, some cheese. It is sensational. It is. It is delicioso. Some may say, get on over there, enjoy it. You're going to enjoy it. It is Smokey John's Barbecue. It just does not get any better than that. Of course, keep in mind that they'll have their customer appreciation promotion coming up the last week of August, and we'll get you some more information as we get closer to the end of August. But man, nobody does it better than Smokey John's Barbecue. You got to check them out. And sauce, rub, if you don't live in the area, online, SmokeyJohns.com. Make it happen at Smokey John's Barbecue. So we continue, and you had written an article on Dak. And I thought it was interesting, the quote that you said. Who was it that Jerry Jones said this? Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting. And then it makes you kind of wonder if, because they might be in a situation where they have to do this, if CeeDee Lamb will have one of those monster seasons that you could have had with Amari Cooper if you had used him in the same sense. And that's the idea of... Well, Dak's just going to have to basically force the ball to CeeDee Lamb, even if he's not necessarily wide open. Or whatever the quote was. You know the direct quote. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I should probably find it, but I'm trying not to be on my computer. Um, here's, here's the gist of it while I look for it. It's that, that Jerry said a quote like, hey, Dak sees the field better than anybody. And he should be able to find... You know, and, and that uh, CeeDee Lamb gets open better than anybody. So even when he's not open, he's open. Essentially, that's what he said. And I was like, that uh, that ain't really how Dak operates. Dak was brought up with what, man? He was brought up with Jason Garrett philosophy, which is, hey, take what the defense gives us. We got a lot of good players. Move it around, spread it around, uh, low risk. Don't make any plays that uh, they get you intercepted like that. Um, so when you, when you combine that with, with what Jerry's saying, you're just like, I don't know about that, man, because think about it. One reason Des Bryant was successful with Tony Romo is Tony Romo said, Hey, Des Bryant's my best guy. Hey, Des, I'm going to throw it to you. Cover the knot. I got you. I'm throwing it up. Go get it. All right. One reason, one reason Dak didn't click with Des is he's like, hey, Dez looks covered to me. I'm not finna throw it up there. And so he didn't. And so it, and so it affected his ability to make plays and, and everything else. And so I'm curious as to whether Dak is even capable of taking that kind of, um, you know, change in thought process and change in philosophy when it comes with, uh, with dealing with, with uh, CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, it is kind of interesting, and you, you wonder, though, because really the only guy on the team right now that Dak is going to have that type of chemistry with is CeeDee Lamb. You know, and, and Tony Pollard, which we kind of mentioned earlier, do they start using Tony Pollard more and, and putting him out in the slot and moving those guys around a little bit more? And those are guys that Dak's comfortable with, especially CD, having had him for a couple of seasons, of knowing what he's capable with, having had so much more experience with each other of maybe if you're moving CD around and you're trying to get a little bit more creative with them, then it helps Dak 
in the same sense, which is funny because it doesn't feel like you were willing to do that with Damari Cooper, and then you blamed him for not putting up the numbers you thought he should be putting up. Well, see, the the issue, and you're, you're absolutely right about that, man, and the issue is how do you want to force the ball? Can you force the ball? And frankly, this year, they might not have much choice but to force the ball to CeeDee Lamb because – Everybody else has such limited experience. You just don't know how they're going to operate. And Dak has got to drop back. Go well. I know there's one guy who's going to be where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. There's one guy I can trust. The flip side of that is, defense coordinator is like, ah, we're going to let somebody other than Ceedee Lamb beat us this week. And that, my friends, is why you see him in a slot. You see him in motion. You see him moved around because they're going to have to try to do some things to get uh, to get Ceedee free. Yeah, and, and we'll see if they do that. But like you're talking about, I don't know that a guy who is now six years under his belt in the NFL, going into year seven, all of a sudden changes the type of quarterback that he is. Now, I don't know if he's going to do that, but he may be more comfortable with what he sees to where he feels like he can squeeze some things in, whereas before he might not have made that type of decision. No, I think that's the key. Now, we could also take it a step further and say, He's, he's five or six years into the offense. He should have a very nuanced understanding of it. It should be, you know, second nature to him how to make it happen. And so that may be a situation where he, he will just feel more comfortable just because he's that much deeper into the offense than he's ever been. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, you got to think CeeDee Lamb's going to have a monster year based on the fact that for four games, as we mentioned kind of earlier on this episode, that – He's the guy that's got all that experience that has at least two seasons of back and forth with Dak Prescott. So I don't know, man. It, 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 that is kind of a weird quote, though, to think that Dak would all of a sudden start doing some things and forcing it, whereas before, I mean, he's been more safe. And we've all, I mean, there are times when we would watch the games and there'd be frustrations and you guys listening would sit there and go, well, Dak missed this guy and this guy. And it's not necessarily that he missed him. It's that he didn't feel like he should tempt that type of pass and he would go for the safer the safer throw but do you go right. for the safer throw if the safer throw isn't to you know Mari cooper oh man yeah, Mari cooper's covered well i got cd lamb and i can go to michael gallup do you have that trust in tolbert and in i don't know dennis houston simi fahoko in the first few weeks of the season do you have that trust that they're going to be where they're supposed to be when you release the ball versus a cd lamb I don't know. No, I don't. I don't think you have it. Um, now they can earn it, but they're not going to start the season with it. Uh, and it's a matter of how quickly they can earn it because it's important, man. It's, it's going to be hard to win with CD and a bunch of guys named Joe, which again is why it's just it's unfathomable to me that they put themselves in this situation. It is, but that's my reality. That's your reality because that's the Cowboys' reality. <laughs> that is the Cowboys' reality this year, my friends. That's what it is. Also, of course, I just got back from Austin. I spent a few days in Austin. We had our fantasy football draft over the weekend. And, you know, that's always one of the great trips. Really one of the great trips, man. I, I had such a blast. I ended up, I'm trying to think of how much I had to pay for him, but I ended up getting Zeke Elliott this year as one of my running backs, and I hope it doesn't bite me in the ass. Really? I did. I like Zeke a lot this year, man. I mean, it was hard for me to ignore and we kind of talked about this on one of our last episodes the production that he had early in the season before he hurt his pcl i thought man if, if he hadn't gotten hurt we'd all be looking at zeke totally differently 
And if I could get him for value, I feel like I've got a chance at, at potentially getting another top seven running back in the NFL this year. Yeah. Now, I could be way off on that, obviously, and maybe he is going to continue to fade and, and he'll fall off a little bit. But I was, I can't remember what I paid for him, but I got a good deal on him. I was trying to find that real quick. Oh, here we go. So I got Zeke. Oh, he didn't put the, come on. The money's on this. This is annoying. <laughs> oh, now I got to scroll through and see. Oh, you know what's funny? I ended up getting Amari Cooper, too. Did you now? Yeah, I mean, I got Amari Cooper for $15. He's the number one wide receiver for Cleveland. All right. I was like, I mean, to me, I don't think he's going to have like a crazy great season, but for $15 for a number one wide receiver, why not? I mean, Amari hey. Cooper is still a really good wide receiver. Who's going to be throwing him the ball? Because they're going to be Deshaun Watson early. No, it's not. It's probably going to end up being Jacoby Brissett, I guess. Eh, it could be worse. But that's okay. I mean, again, somebody's got to catch the balls. It means they're going to throw them to somebody. Yeah, so I paid I paid a little bit more for Zeke than I remember. I got him for thirty five, but he was like the last running back of of worth that I wanted. I got Alvin Kamara for thirty, and then I got Aaron Rodgers for thirty. I went a little higher than I normally do on guys, and I ended up it's kind of interesting. My roster I got a lot of younger dudes. Like my starting lineup is pretty stout because I got Travis Kelsey, I got David Montgomery, who's the Bears' starting running back, who you know he may not be great or anything. But again, a starting running back, and I got him for an affordable price. And I ended up with him. I was like, I don't even want this guy, but for the price, I can't say no. <laughs> and then You've I got a been in that situation. I took before. a flyer on one, two, three, four rookies. Who's the who's the biggest flyer? That's a very good question. I, I got Kenny Pickett for a dollar. Cause I think he, you know, hey, at the end of the day, he's probably a starting quarterback because I think he's gonna win the job in Pittsburgh. I got Brian. I'm, I'm big on Brian Robinson Jr., the former Alabama running back that the Washington Commanders drafted. Yeah. And they got him in the third round. I know they have Antonio Gibson, but he's been banged up. And Brian Robinson's a beast. I got him for a dollar. I got Velas Jones Jr., who's like a... Uh, he has the possibility to be a poor man's Debo Samuel if they use him right in Chicago over time. I got him for a dollar. I got Kenneth Walker the third, who's a beast at running back for a dollar. And then I ended up, I drafted Calvin Ridley because in our league, if you want to keep somebody, and that's why like I drafted some of these rookies so I could try and have a couple of really keep, cheap keeper options. So right. I'll be working with one fewer bench spot all year because I drafted Calvin Ridley. And if I keep him on my team all year long, I can keep him for a dollar next season. All right. Or I can no keep him for $10 yeah. next season. But a, a number, a potential number one wide receiver for $10, Calvin Ridley, that could be a colossal steal next year when he comes back from his year-long suspension. Hmm. Yeah, he should be back, and he should still be a uh, serviceable player. I would think so. I mean, he's very young, and he was a beast. Although, are the Falcons going to have a quarterback now? I mean, that's the thing. Marcus Mariota might end up being their quarterback this year. It's either going to be him yeah. or that rookie Desmond Ritter that they drafted. I mean, Mariota's okay. I mean, he's not a bum. Uh, he hadn't done much in recent years. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he, he he's not a bum, I guess, but you look at that. Let's see. He, has, he hasn't started a game since 2019 when he started six for the Titans, and he played in parts of 11 games the last two years for the Raiders. 
He's thrown 30 passes in the NFL the last two seasons. Wow. Maybe he is a bum. I mean, I always thought it was weird. Like, I always felt like Tennessee just gave up on him so easily. And then they get Tannehill in, and they're convinced. And I wonder, like, could if you had Derrick Henry doing what he was doing with Mariota, would you have just hung on to Mariota without feeling like you had to move on and getting somebody like a Ryan Tannehill in there? That's a great question. But, you know, you have to be really bad for them to give up on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You do, uh, especially as a number as a what number two overall pick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. As a number two overall pick, they they're not interested in giving up on you. You have to make them give up on you. And yeah, he did. Yeah, you. He did. I guess there's a lot of truth to that. So we'll see how it turns out, man. But all in all, man, we had a, we had a, a phenomenal couple of days in Austin. It was such a great time. We ended up at a place in South Austin doing karaoke on Saturday night after the draft. And I got to tell you, I think six of the guys in our league sang. Because I sang three songs and Juan sang three songs. Oh, my. Yeah, and a couple other guys sang songs. And we had a great time. It was a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. It's always one of those things. When you get a chance to hang out with some of your friends that, that you grew up with, that you've been buddies with for so long, that you don't get to see very often, just goes by so fast. So fast, you know? But yeah, I was right, glad right. to see everybody. Had a great time. I was, it, as you get older, it's time. There's certain times where things just need to end, and it, the weekend just needed to end. <laughs> <laughs> it was about that time, huh? Yeah, yeah, because we went to a lot of breweries and drank a lot of beer. And by the time Sunday rolled around, I was like, I just want to go to sleep. And here we are 48 hours later, and I'm still dragging ass a little bit today. But again, one of those types of weekends that's just, it's, it's just a really enjoyable time. All 12 of us showed up, which is amazing that we got 12 grown ass men in one place in Austin for absolutely and, and granted some of them who will rename mainland Name. nameless right right some of them didn't show up until four o'clock on Saturday an hour after we were supposed to start drafting yeah it's okay and then they they left early Sunday morning but they were there and they hung out and we had a good time and the moral of the story is we enjoyed ourselves well that's what's important but I was glad to be back man I mean that that's I think as you get older, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. Well, especially you. You got all those things you got to do to get to sleep. Oh, I travel. I mean, I take my sound machine with me. I take my eye mask with me. Sometimes I travel with my pillow. Wow. You know, you get, hey, man, if you're going to sleep and you want to sleep properly and feel like you're getting quality sleep, that's the way you have to do it as you get older. I feel you, bro. I mean, I'm not screwing around with, with messing up with sleep now. Yeah, I should probably take that approach. You need to. Guy who gets like four hours a night. Why you? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how you do. I still don't know how you do that. And (laughs) you don't know how you do that sometimes, I think. No, I just do it. (laughs) That's probably true. It it ain't something I'm bragging about. (laughs) No, it'd be rough, man. It would be very rough. So that, my friends, is the podcast for today. As we continue... (laughs) Sleep average this week. Now, let's go last week. Four hours, 38 minutes. God, that's, I don't even know how you do that. The week before, 435, 445, 427, 
Ooh, that's a bad week. That was three hours and nine minutes, 4.45. But I think it's important to point out, you're talking about your average sleep a week. This isn't what you got like one night every so often. (laughs) Right. You are sleeping four and a half hours a day on average. That is absurd, man. And I'm not even taking any naps in a day. That's unbelievable. Like, like so far this week, I'm at 637. The week before was seven. The week before that was 647, seven, six, 655, 720. I mean, my God, dude. Check this out. You have to go back to May 22nd to find five hours and 11 minute average. God. And that's still not enough. No, I probably felt great that week. I bet you felt like a champion. <laughs> you should try it more often. Oh, April 24th, five hours and 50 minutes. Look at that. You almost got six hours a night. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure, bro. That's amazing, dude. Answers. Absolutely amazing. But there's a podcast for you guys. We'll be back. Another new episode coming your way on Friday. And we'll start looking at it, man. The Cowboys' first preseason game of 2022 coming up Saturday. So get you ready for that. Glad you guys are here. Appreciate all of you. Keep retweeting it, if you will. Keep telling people about it. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.